Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. Amen. Let's open the Word of God to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. I am interrupting our study of 1 Peter by the Lord's leading to uh, take a week or two off for other purposes. And our purpose today is to glorify our Father in heaven for the great things He hath done and the great things He will yet do for us. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, Samuel exhorts the congregation of Israel as they demanded a king, which resulted in his firing. Only fear the Lord. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. In this first assembly, we want to consider what great things the Lord has done and what great things the Lord has done for us personally from several different standpoints as I wrote you yesterday. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things He hath done for you. That's the positive reason to serve the Lord because of the great things He has done for you. The next verse tells us another reason to serve the Lord and that's for the negative events that He will bring upon you if you don't serve Him by fearing Him and doing so in truth. Because verse 25 says, But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Even when God was merciful to them, giving them a king when they shouldn't have asked for one, He told them that king wouldn't help them when His judgment fell on that nation if they were to continue doing wickedly. Today, we glorify, praise, and thank God our Father for great things He hath done. We are not deists. Deism starts with a Creator God, but removes Him from daily actions in this universe and operating upon His creation. We are not like deists at all. We believe that God's hand is in everything that we do. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We'll never be able to figure out all that He has done, is doing, and shall do on our behalf. Let's remember that God has done great things in general by turning to Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. Great things in general that God has done, that the Bible tells us about, that the creation reveals to us, that a birth of a child tells us great things He hath done. The Bible says that children are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you see a newborn child and those finely formed fingernails, you know that there's a great designer at work. And it's the Lord God of heaven. And we want to praise Him for the things He does in general. Job 5, verse 9, verse 8, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things, without number. This is our God. And we want to stop today and think about all that He has done. Those are things in general. Look at Psalm 71. Psalm 71, so that we can think of things He's done for His church. Psalm 71 and verse 19. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who hast done great things. O God, who is like unto Thee? 
Exclamation point. Psalm 71, 19. Because if you look at the context of this verse, it is describing God's blessing toward His church and His people. And of course, many more verses could be raised for each of these categories. But let's move on. I'm just introducing how we're going to approach the study this morning. Look at Hosea chapter 8. Daniel, Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Chapter 8 and verse 12. Hosea 8, 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Let that never be said of us. He has revealed to us great things of his law. Let them never be a strange thing to us. The ten tribes did not think they needed to pay heed to the law of Moses because they had a new religion under Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, because they were not going to associate in Jerusalem again. And they didn't think that it was relevant for them. And much of the Christian world and much of the religious world today does not believe that the Bible is yet relevant, but it is relevant. It is as relevant today as it's ever been. And let's make sure that we don't count it a strange thing because God has written to us the great things of His law. And what is found in the Bible are indeed great things. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. And let's see the great things He's done in salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wish I could talk as fast as an auctioneer and you could listen as fast as well. Because there's so many things to consider. And I want to be timely today and I want us to rejoice I want us to relax and be thankful to be in the house of the Lord. Sometimes when we're laboring with verses like 1 Peter 3.19, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, it may seem a little difficult to you like last Lord's Day. Some of you rejoice in those things, and I'm glad and your rejoicing encourages me, but there's a whole flock of sheep here. And I want to reach right down to Gabriel back there looking at me right now to rejoice in the great things God has done. And look at this one, Gabriel. Luke chapter 1 and verse 49. This is Mary speaking. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. You bet he did something great to her. You bet he showed his might. She was a virgin and she conceived. That is impossible. With God all things are possible. Sawyer. With God, all things are possible. And that's what Mary said. Great things the Lord had done for her. And then, brethren, I want to spend the majority of our time, if the Lord will help me manage my time, in looking at the things that He does for us personally. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is an example. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I hope that you've noticed in these verses that I've given you so far the little combination of a noun and an adjective, great things, is found in each one of them. Because it's used throughout the Bible. And the Lord just brought, I don't think we've sung to God be the glory very often in this church. That number 55 in the red. But I've I've sung that the entirety of my life. Thank you, Dad. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. The Lord just brought that back. I ran out of my office. Jerry, where do we find this song? She sings it back to me. She remembered it. And the verses in there, great things He hath taught us. Great things He hath done. Was just exactly what I was looking for as a theme song. Thank you, brother. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is David and the Lord reasoning back and forth about David wanting to build a house for God and God instead building a house for David and promising it so. And here's what David said in verse 21. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. These are personal things. This is personal between God and David. And it's what I desire and what I live for to help all of you have a relationship with God like David had with God. Do you seek His face like David did? I have preached to you the heart of David and told you the rules of how you can have a relationship with God like David did. But the world distracts us. And it's times like this that we come back and we think of the great things He hath done. And it's one of the things God loves is His praise. And David loved His praise. And in this particular verse, he is talking about things that God had done for him personally. So the five categories that we're going to use are great things in general, great things for His church, great things in the Word of God, in salvation, and for us personally. And we're going to use examples from the Bible. This is a very small sampling of what could be raised, and I'm sure I'll disappoint all of you that know your Bibles, because you'll be thinking, why didn't he use so-and-so? Because I have limited time. Have mercy upon me. We could use the whole Bible, because it speaks of God's great things. Repeating His great things is part of worship. If you read the whole Bible, you are going to find that Old Testament, New Testament, men in prayer, men in worship, they bring up creation. Now creation is relegated to Genesis chapter 1, but they keep bringing it up. All the way through the Bible, they refer to the Lord hath made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. So there he's appealing, they're appealing to that great thing that he's our creator. He spoke the entire universe into existence by his word. And they bring up Egypt. You can look in both testaments and they bring up Egypt because God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt, his church out of Egypt was a great thing. And they remembered it. And they remembered it over and over. And so it's a part of his worship that we do what we're doing today. Let's think about creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us, in the beginning, God created. So let's think of some things in general. God is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What else does it say in verse 3? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That is incredible. That is a glorious, great thing of God to say, let there be light, and there was light. We believe in the Big Bang. God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. I like verse 6. It's not verse 6. Verse 16. And God made two great lights. This is three days later. The greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. Are we all familiar with what that terminology means? The sun and the moon. But then what does it say? He made the stars also. He made the stars also. There are times where we should take the Word of God and use it like this. Listen, I'm almost embarrassed in my flesh because this is such a simple sermon, but God has directed me, convicted me, and closed off every other door of avenue except for this for today. And and trust Him and trust me. I'm embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed because I love to sing, to God be the glory, great things He hath done. You want to hear it again? 
Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. He made the stars also. Yes, I worked an hour of overtime and got two more little plastic parts out. He made the stars also. Thank you, Lord, for your greatness. He made the angels, brethren. He created His angels, spirits. Spirits are immaterial things. There's no substance to them. He spoke angels into existence. And there's, there's countless millions of them. And they're powerful. And they're intelligent. And they're rational. He created His angels, spirits. He made them a flaming fire. Hebrews chapter 1. He created the woman. He looked upon Adam. And it was not good for the man to be alone. I'll make and help meat for him. And then God brought all the animals. You know, they say that a dog is man's best friend. But Adam wasn't done when he named dog, pig, bear, lion. He was still lonely. And the Bible tells us that. And God did something in general. He made the sexes. He made a woman and He made a man. And he made them for each other. And they complement each other. Now they should be complimenting each other, but I'm using it with an E. They complement each other by being appropriate for each other. Right. Oh, and then He brought the flood, brethren, upon the earth in Genesis chapter 7, verses chapter 6 through 9 tell us about the great flood. We're supposed to remember the works of God and the great desolations He hath wrought in the earth. They like to talk about the little tiny things that happened. Was there a Jonestown, Youngstown flood up in Pennsylvania? Was it Youngstown? Jonestown? Jonesville? Jonestown, we'll guess. Thank you, brother. We'll, We'll land on that for right now. It's no guess if it comes from you, brother. It's a guess if it comes from me. They, they worry about these little floods. There was a flood that was 15 cubits above the highest mountain, and it, it drowned everything that had the breath of life in it, and all the substance of life that was on the earth. But the Lord had prepared an ark for Noah and the saving of his family and put him in it and closed up the door of that ark. Praise the Lord. It is a great work, and that, th- that work is referred to in the New Testament as well because God is coming again. And remember, there's a rainbow. That's a great thing. When you see a rainbow, call me. I don't get out very often. Call me. Because a rainbow is a great thing. And God said, when I put that rainbow in the clouds, I'll remember. The Lord has tied a string around His finger called the rainbow that I'll never drown the earth with a worldwide flood again. And we want to remember that. The next time that flood comes, according to Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, when he remembers the flood of water, it's going to be a flood of fire. The Tower of Babel, brethren. When you look at the Chinese language written or you hear it spoken, what happens to your mind? Mind fries. Smoke immediately begins to ascend out of both ears. Listening to another language being... Oh, they just go at it. And they're, they're nonsensical noises to me. And then you look at those characters that the Chinese use for Mandarin in print. Wow! It's a great thing. Where did it happen? The Tower of Babel. And we have ten verses that tell us about it. Great things He hath done. They can sit in their think tanks wherever they want to sit and think. They can smoke whatever hallucinogenics they need to think. They'll never figure out where all the languages came from. 
They came from God confounding man at the Tower of Babel. All things were made by Him and for Him. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. What a statement! That statement can save our lives from foolish imaginations against the Most High. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. We know who made them. We know why He made them. And we know the extreme case that rises in our mind. What about evil men for the judgment that God's going to bring upon them? Yes, they are included. Chance events are entirely under His control. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You can spin your cylinder on a six-shot revolver and put it to your temple and pull the trigger, but my God's in charge of that event. He's in charge of all chance events. There is no chance event in the universe. I read about a chance arrow that was flung by the uh, Assyrian by the Syrian army, and it found a joint in Ahab's armor. Amen. Herod Agrippa I made a speech, and the people worship him like a god, and he didn't give God the glory. So Acts chapter twelve tells us he fell down dead and was eaten of worms. Right. That is Herod Agrippa I. You can go punch him in and read the Wikipedia entry for Herod Agrippa I. God took him out of here. What great things he hath done in general. And brethren, there's a flood of fire coming that will burn up this planet. And he's going to release the universe from the bondage of corruption that it's in. And it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth into the liberty of the sons of God. He wants to make the world, the universe, fit for you. That is a great thing, and it's still coming. That's great things in general. Great things for His church. You can flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, that is David and the Lord reasoning back and forth. I've told you many times, it's a wonderful chapter. It is the kind of relationship that I desire for all of us, that we would have with the Lord, that He'd be so close to us until we're filled with all the fullness of God, and He strengthens us with might in our inner man, that we expostulate back and forth with God and reason with Him and delight in Him, and He delights in us. And He draws nigh to us to where we're overwhelmed by the fact that He's created us rational and sensible, able to appreciate and understand and grasp Him and receive His love and kindness toward us. There is no better reason for our existence than that relationship with God. Second Samuel 7, this is not personal though, this is now the church. Great things he's done for his church. Two verses after verse 21. Verse 21 was about what he said to David. Verse 23 is what David is going to say about the Lord doing for his church. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. The God of heaven did a great thing by rescuing his church from the slavery that they were in in Egypt and the false gods of that nation and brought them into the land of Canaan and delivered them from all nations and all gods. There were nations that came at them and said, Your God is only good... You know, in certain respects, our God will just overthrow your God because our God's overthrown every other God. But our God did great things and delivered them. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father. He brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey after a career of slavery. How's that for a reversal of fortune? What kind of houses did they get themselves into? It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities. The cities will be built. They'll already have an infrastructure. Great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. And houses full of all good things. They will have been to rooms or us. And filled the house with good furniture, which thou fillest not. You didn't do the shopping. And wells digged, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. That is a great thing. They were slaves. Now Hollywood's going to try to make, and they're going to release it in a few days, Exodus. They're going to show some perverse little relationship between Moses and Ramses and try to show the power and authority of the God of heaven. They'll never be able to do it. There are no special effects that can match my God's special effects. My God's special effects. Pharaoh loved those 1,200 count silk sheets that he had and he dove into them at night. Ribbit, ribbit. Frogs in his bed. He's mortified. He runs to the kitchen and says, this is ridiculous. I'll make a submarine sandwich. He grabs a loaf of bread and cuts it. There's no ribbit this time because it's dead in the loaf. Oh, that's my God. Great things. And those great things are mentioned throughout the Bible. And this is not a Sunday school lesson. This is preaching the Word of God because throughout the Bible, those great works that He did in the land of Ham are remembered. It's part of God's worship. Go read Psalm 104, 105, 106, 107 and see in those chapters that those great works are remembered. It's part of worshiping God. I love it when He took the land of Canaan with Joshua. He hardened their hearts so that they would come against Him in battle. It'd be hard to kill someone sitting at home in their bed or sitting in their chair watching television or lying in bed. But he hardened their hearts so they would all come in battle so it would be easier to kill them all. The great things that he's done for his church. He stopped the sun. His preacher, his warrior, his leader, the captain of the host, as far as men were concerned, said sun stand still and moon stand still. And they stood still for a day while Joshua avenged himself on the enemies of Israel. That is a great thing. And they don't want to talk about it in our public schools, but these are the great things that we want to remember. Remembering these great things and verbalizing them to God and remembering them for the difficult circumstances you may find yourself in someday will give you the faith and the power and the hope to live the way God wants you to live. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. This is for His church. He delivered His church out of Egypt. He brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey and all the other good things I mentioned. He hardened up the enemy's heart so they came in battle and He stopped the sun. Later when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against Him and Rabshakeh, blaspheming the God of heaven, Hezekiah appealed to Him and God said, I'll take care of this, Hezekiah. Thank you for showing me the note. I'll take care of this. And then He says these wonderful words. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. My little girl. My little girl Israel. 
My little girl Israel has laughed thee to scorn. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers killed that night. Sennacherib goes back into the temple of his God to find out what's going wrong. And his sons come in and kill him. Praise the Lord for great things he has done for his church. He overthrew Babylon to end 70 years of captivity and to begin 70 times 7 years to bring us to Messiah the Prince. Daniel chapter 9, the last four verses are wonderful because they describe great things He hath done. He humbled Nebuchadnezzar and put him out to pasture for 7 years and he raised up Cyrus to overthrow Babylon and to bring in the Persians that would be favorable to his church. The destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 70 A.D., according to the details of the Word of God, show what great things He has done in the earth. Those Jews knew that they had one of the marvels of the world in the construction of Zerubbabel's temple that Herod had added to extensively for near 50 years. And he tore it apart stone from stone and dug it up and plowed Mount Zion like a field. All of it prophesied in the Word of God. He prophesied the details of them eating their children, and they did. He prophesied when it would come, and it did. In details and in timing, the Lord God has done great things. Great things in the Bible. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Oh, brethren, you know that we could just elaborate on any one of these. Deuteronomy chapter 4, but we've got to move to the third category already. Great things in the Bible. Great things He hath taught us. Great things He hath done. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses. That ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Praise the Lord for the Word of God. Great things He has done to have 40 different writers penned down in ink on paper, for us to have the written revelation of the Creator God of heaven. And they are the envy of the nations. And every good thing about the laws of this country are a reflection, whether conscious or unconscious, of the wisdom and understanding of God's statutes. Because we are different. I remember as a boy, when kidnapping was a little more popular than it is nowadays, you know, kidnapping wasn't very exciting to a kid. Dad liked to tell us stories. He's a good father. I'll have thanks for him later. About kidnapping. But you know, in the Bible, kidnappers were put to death. I, I was just, I appreciated that commandment. That kidnappers in the Bible were put to death. God took it very seriously. I took it very seriously. Because I was a kid. The Bible's filled with good things. Don't worry, Gabriel. In God's word, kidnappers get put to death. That's what it says. It says that thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Do you think that's weird? 
Do you think when it's, when it tells you, do you, what do you think when it, you find that if you find a dam, a mother bird sitting on a nest with eggs under it, you can't take them both? God's teaching us not to be cruel and little boys are cruel and I was cruel and so was my brother. I don't want him to say amen this time and get away with it, acting like he's holier than me. When it, little boys are cruel. And so the, the Word of God says, don't see the kid in its mother's milk. It's not right to take a little lamb or a little kid goat and then boil it in its own mother's milk. And you say, well, that's three times. So that's kind of... Although, how about the definition of love? Charity suffereth long. Is that a good way to start out when you're loving someone? Charity suffereth long? It is a good way to start out and is kind. And it just goes on in 15 phrases. God's Word is full of wonderful things. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 96 with me. Psalm 119, great things He hath done. And do you know who He's done them for? Happy art thou, O people of the Lord, saved by the Lord. He's done them for us. This universe is ours. All things are ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the last three verses. Psalm 119 and verse 96, I have seen an end of all perfection. Every man that I've met, every building project that I've seen, every military that I've seen prepared for battle, I've seen an end to perfection. I've seen where their perfection ran out. I've seen the limitations and constraints and restraints upon what they thought was perfect. But thy law, he says in the last part of 96, thy commandment is exceeding broad. It does not have the limitations, nor have I found any end when I go into this book. It's a wonderful verse. This God has done great things. This book will never exhaust. You will never exhaust it. It will exhaust you. You can spend your life reading this and then die at a good old ripe age of 80 and you will have barely touched its surface of what's in the Word of God. Great things in the Bible. It's exclusive distribution. Look at Psalm 147 a few pages over and verses 19 and 20. Psalm 147, 19 and 20. He showeth His Word unto Jacob. His statutes and His judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Do you know how ignorant the Hindus are in India? Do you know what a dowry is in India? It's what the bride's family has to pay the groom's family. They have turned it upside down. And do you know that that has resulted in bride burnings? Do you know there are thousands of brides in India that are burned to death every year? They call it bride burnings because the easiest way to do it is to let the gas out in the kitchen and when she lights a match, she burns herself up. Because the groom's family was dis- disappointed by the gifts they got from the bride's family. The, the, the dowry in the Bible is the complete opposite. Oh, we could go on and on with the Word of God. It's glorious in its law. It's glorious in what it, it's wisdom. It's glorious in its poetry. It's glorious in its history. It's glorious in its prophecy. It's glorious in its doctrine. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. And notice, it's exclusive distribution. Not everyone in the world has had equal access to the Word of God like you have it in your language. You can go to a dollar store and buy it. How many copies do you have in your house? And we had fathers in the faith not long ago, yes, even in Mother England, that burn at the stake for this book. 
We are so blessed. God has done great things for us in the Bible. It is inspired and preserved, both of which depend upon each other. I don't want a preserved Bible that's not inspired, and I don't want an inspired Bible that's not preserved. I need them both, and so do you. And the Bible gives us both. It's every word is purified for man's spiritual health. Purified seven times. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. Its internal integrity is perfect for arguing individual words like the Lord Jesus Christ said, Why then did God say to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a divine library of 66 books by 40 writers of different genres of literature that are fabulous. What a book! There's nothing like the book of Proverbs in the Bible. And there's nothing like hardly the book of Revelation in the Bible. It's wonderful. We've got philosophy in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've got practical living in the book of Proverbs. We've got poetry praising God and revealing the human soul in the book of Psalms. What a wonderful book God's given us. It's a divine library of 66. It transcends verb tenses by God's power to perform His promises so we can use the past tense for things that are not yet done. Because He is able to perform what He has promised. It's more sure than God's voice from heaven. And so that destroys the vanity of visions. Do you know what you would have to endure if I got in this pulpit and say, I've had a vision. Oh, but they don't think that. They go, tell us. In the last couple of days, I was reading about Sitting Bull's visions. Sitting Bull was one of my childhood heroes. (laughs) Sitting Bull. Um, Stuart really shocked me. One Sunday afternoon, standing in his library, I said something about Sitting Bull, and he said, have you have you ever thought about the fact that the Indians never even could invent a wheel or a numbering system or a written language? Wow. Sitting Bull had all these visions. All the Indians would just sit and listen as the devil gave him visions of Custer's soldiers tumbling into their camp. Oh, we're going to whip the white man. Yeah, they took out 258 soldiers there at the Little Bighorn, but uh, then they were all on reservations about two months later. It didn't take long. But, you know, visions, what would you do? You know, I've had a vision. We shall overcome all these visions of men. Mary Baker Eddy had visions. Ellen Harmon White of the Seventh-day Adventists had visions. Joseph Smith had a vision, supposedly, in that plagiarized novel of his called the Book of Mormon. But you know what? We have something more sure than even God's voice from heaven, let alone devil possession, by smoking too much Pereri Piuti buttons in the part of Sitting Bull. Oh, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Knowledge and wisdom on any topic may be found by the diligent. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We have everything we need to know right here in one little manual for living. He's done great things in the Bible. Great things in salvation. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Romans chapter 9. We could read all of 11 through 24 in the verses of that chapter. We love Him because He first loved us. What discriminating love He showed toward us and the power of that love. 
I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with my loving kindness have I drawn thee. He has drawn us to himself. He is the just and the justifier. That takes incredible wisdom to figure out how can I take these rebel humans below the angels that I have already chained in everlasting chains for, chains for eternal torment. How can I save them and be just? I will send my son. I will send my son. And he will keep all of my commandments. And I will bruise him and kill him that he can be the just and the justifier. This is the wisdom of God in salvation. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 about, about God's wisdom in salvation. Wherein, talking, this is right in the middle of that love, that passage that we love in Ephesians chapter 1. Wherein, in our salvation, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. It took the wisdom and prudence of God to come up with such a drama and a plan of salvation. All glory to God. It says in 3.10, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The great wisdom of God in saving you and me was done in part for the angels, the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the good angels, to look at it and be blown away by the wisdom of God in saving us and not their fallen colleagues. The virgin birth. He hath done great things to me. How can this be? I have not known a man. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Amen. God would be its Father. Wow. How about when the Lord Jesus Christ cried, it is finished on the cross? There was an earthquake. These are great things He's done around the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. There was a great earthquake. The stones rent, stones ripped, tombs opened. The veil was torn from top to bottom. These are all great things. It was dark over the earth for three hours. These are all great things. And when Jesus rose from the dead, those open graves released their occupants and those men and women came into the city of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord for the residual power of His resurrection. The incarnation of God with us. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ are two great events. Jesus was promoted over the angels. He sits at the apex of the universe. Angels and authorities and powers, as we learned last Lord's Day from 1 Peter 3.22, are made subject unto Him. The Lord Jesus Christ has a rod of iron in His hand. He sits on the throne of David. He sits on His Father's throne and He rules the universe. He is waiting until the formal declaration that He is in charge of all things. And He'll put all rule and all authority and all reign down under Him and stand upon them. And He will judge all men and angels. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the blessed and only potentate. We wouldn't know about Him if He hadn't revealed these things to us. Thank you, Lord. The facets of salvation that I preached to you by way of video a few weeks ago are wonderful. This is where they come in. Great things He hath done. A great thing, justification. A great thing, satisfaction. A great thing, reconciliation. A great thing, propitiation. A great thing, Adoption. Praise His holy name. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Adoption. The facets of salvation. 
The adoption of enemies to be the sons of God. The regeneration of dead sinners. He regenerated each of us or we wouldn't want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, that's okay. You're not born again. But those of us who want to be here, we're born again. He regenerated us. He put a new spirit in us. A new heart, a new desire. Flaming passion for Him. The only reason it's cold if you're born again is because you have sprayed the waters of this world on it. You have quenched it by your sins and foolishness. You have grieved the Holy Spirit of God. But He regenerated us. And it took the same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead to regenerate each one of us. Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 tell us that. Oh, and then He sent the gospel and was preached in the world and believed on in the world by us Gentiles. Thank you, Lord. We were so blind and so dark, we would have never considered the gospel, nor would we have ever listened to a monotheistic Jew because we were certain that the world was filled with deities and the universe was filled with deities. We were like the Greeks and we were like the Romans. We had all kinds of gods. But along comes these little fishermen that preached a monotheistic religion that Jesus Christ was Lord of all. And we believed it. That's by the grace of God coming to us. Why were you born to the parents you were born to and the nation that you were born in to have ever heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's all, it's a great thing that He has done. And He is going to resurrect us and glorify us in a day soon. Now let's get to the point that I wanted to get to. Oh, I love all those points. But how about this one? Let's just think a little bit about how He deals personally with men. Look at, did you read Psalm 113 last night? Does it say He humbles Himself to behold things in heaven and in earth? He humbles Himself to get down to us. We need to look at it very quickly because there, there is no time to waste. Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Verse 4. Psalm 113.4 The Lord is high above all nations. That's high. And His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God? Who dwelleth on high. Now those two verses lift up the Lord as high as He can be lifted up. Verse 6, Who humbleth Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Exclamation point. This is, the, this is the point that I wanted to get to and share with you so that you can embrace this personally. That the Creator God, who has done so many things for His church in both Testaments, and has done so many things in the Word of God, and has done so many things in saving us through Jesus Christ, we ought to be the happy people of Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-nine. but I want you to embrace it personally and think about what He has done for you by using examples from the Bible of what He did for other individuals. He promised through the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 6, that He would not lose a single one of us. That is personal. He has your name written in the book of life. Your name. And it was written there from before the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do with your birth certificate and your parents coming up with a name. He put your name in the book of life. He has your name inscribed on His hand in a figurative way the Bible describes He cares for details down to the hairs of your head. This God that I'm telling you about, our God, even our God, from Psalm 67 by Daniel last Sunday, even our God, our Heavenly Father, knows the number of hairs on your head. Who else knows the number of hairs on your head? No one else does. Who else is close? No one is close. Who else cares? No one else cares. Do you know that you're lost in this world? Without the God of... Without the God of heaven being your father, you're lost because no one else, don't get hurt, really cares about you. But God does. And I do. And you do. A little? Oh, He knows the hairs. 
There is not a sparrow that falls without our Heavenly Father overseeing that. And He says, ye are of more value than many sparrows in case you were wondering. He said, why would He say that? This is how great our God is. Great things He hath done. It is a great thing that He wrote to us and said, all the hairs of your head are numbered. Do you understand where I'm going with this? That is a great thing. This is no dry theological work to be stuffed on some shelf in a monastery. This is personal. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Oh, thank you, Lord. Sarah, on two occasions, to help her weak husband, said that she was Abraham's sister. Two occasions, she was taken into a bedroom. What in the world is going to happen to Sarah? Can any woman here put herself in Sarah's shoes? What in the world am I going to do? What am I going to do? She didn't have to do. The Lord did for her. He plagued Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12. And he came to Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 in a dream and said, Thou art a dead man. Now how's that for a God? That is personal, women. Think about that. Do you know how scared Sarah should have been? Do you know how scared Sarah likely was? But God delivered her. That, that's getting pretty close. Whoa! I mean, the she, they've had the, the turn down of the bed. Oh, the Lord doesn't lose track of anyone that are His. So let's take Sarah's nemesis, a little Egyptian slave, fired, pregnant, slave. She wasn't a hired servant. She was a bondwoman. She was a Gentile. She was an Egyptian. The enemies of God's people. Sarah had fired her. She's pregnant. Her situation is about as bad as it can get. And out in the wilderness, God came to her and said in Genesis chapter 16, I will take care of you and your son, and I will make of him an exceeding great people. And when he was done, she named him, Thou God seest me. It is a touching passage. In the second half of Genesis chapter 16, she knew that Abraham walked with God. She knew that Abraham could build altars to God and God would speak back and forth with Abraham. But she's an Egyptian, black, pregnant, slave, fired, lost, alone, in the wilderness, no one to help her. Thou God seest me. What great things he has done for personally. How about his matchmaking? We've studied that before. Did he help Isaac? What was her name? Help me. Rebecca. Did he help Jacob? Let's go with Rachel. And Leah, because we don't want to lose those six boys. Joseph. What's her name? Asenath. Salmon. Rahab. Boaz. Ruth, Elkanah, Hannah, Aquila, Priscilla. Those are great matches. Those matches were made in heaven. The Lord brought those people together. You know, Selman was a patriarch in the land of Israel, and when that harlot Rahab was delivered out of the city of Jericho, do you know, he saw a woman of great faith. You know, as he was marching around that thing, seeing that scarlet thread hanging out of that window, that is a good woman. As soon as the walls fell down and she came out, he married her. It's in the Bible. 
He and she are in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fearful Jacob defeated God in a wrestling match, got a new name, and Esau kissed him and said, I don't need all this stuff. How much better could it get? And then Jacob, Jacob was still nervous, so Jacob said, my children are young, the flocks are tender, why don't you go ahead instead of wanting to accompany me all the way back to dad's property? Esau said, okay. And everything turned out just the way Jacob wanted it. Because God has done great things. Amen. He changed his name. You know, I don't want to get off on this for more than these few seconds. Wrestle with God and prevail. I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel because as a prince, you have power with God and you have prevailed. Now, how in the world can we prevail? That means to win the wrestling match with Almighty God. How can we win a wrestling match with Almighty God? Because God is approachable. Amen. And He has done great things by by allowing us to come to Him in prayer. Wow. Moses was specially cared for. From infancy, wasn't he? In a basket of bulrushes, taken into Pharaoh's house, mighty in word and deed. He was great in the land of Egypt. Was he taken care of on the backside of the desert? That's where he met his wife. That's where he met Zipporah. That's where he met Jethro. Did Jethro help him out later in Exodus chapter 18? Yes. He was specially cared for. What else happened to him on the backside of the desert? Did he meet God in a burst of revelation that Abraham had never met him? How about the name Jehovah? How about I am that I am? Who's the first one to hear it like that? Exposed from that burning bush? It was Moses. Did Moses have miracles given to him to confirm a meek and timid man that didn't want to go back into Egypt? Did he have this trick? Did he have this trick? Did the Lord give him those miracles in order to confirm him? When men picked on him about him being in an office that he never wanted, Did God do a new thing in the earth to comfort him? Did God open the earth and swallow up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the company that came against him and burned up some of them with fire? How about fearful Gideon? God has done great things. He tried Gideon by whittling his army down to 300. Now that's pretty severe. If you had a big army of 32,000 and it got whittled down to uh, 300, That's pretty bad. That's 1% of your original army. But then the Lord gave him some comforts, didn't He? The fleece was wet, the ground was dry. The fleece was dry, the ground was wet. And then he ran down there and and heard a dream. I saw what's going to happen tonight. Gideon's going to come into this camp and kill us all. That helps. And so Gideon makes it to Hebrews chapter 11. Is Hebrews 11 the hall of faith? Gideon's in the hall of faith. Our God has done great things. You can make it. Baron Hannah was seen, her tears, her grief, and she gave birth to great Samuel and five more beside him. David was liked. Do you know what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 4? Out of all the tribes of Israel, God chose Judah. Out of all the families of Judah, God chose the house of Jesse. Out of all the sons of Jesse, and there were eight, God chose me because He liked me. God has done great things for individual people. You say, well, I'm not David. Why have you chosen not to be like David? 
Don't give me that garbage. That's an excuse. I'm not David. You have chosen not to be like David. You should be able to do better than David if you've ever read the whole account of David. Lord, help us. We want to love you like he loved you and do exceeding magnificent things for you. Help us. You have done great things. And we thank you for choosing Saul, David over Saul and David over his brothers and giving him such an example in the Bible with so much we can read about him. Brothers and sisters, there was a little orphan girl. She ended up married to the king and saving all of her people. Her name was Esther. Hezekiah got 15 more years and the sun reversed. 10 degrees in the dial of King Ahaz that he had beside his bed. And God killed, Sennach- God killed Sennacherib and 185,000 Assyrians all at once in his life. Because he turned to the wall and prayed and begged God to remember the good things that he had done for him. And God did great things for Hezekiah. He was 39 years old. He lived 15 more years to 54 years of age. God killed the Assyrians and God moved the sundial back. Great things he hath done for individuals. Manasseh came coming after Hezekiah was the worst king of Judah. He put up an, an, an altar to sacrifice children to God in the temple of the Lord. The king of Babylon came and took him captive 500 miles away in prison. But in prison he humbled himself greatly. And there is a God in heaven who says, My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he forgave Manasseh and he told the king of Babylon, You put Manasseh back on his throne in Jerusalem. And he did. And the Bible says, Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Do you know that the Lord, he is God by me going over these events that you should all know about? Job had a hedge of protection and blessing around him that the devil knew. A hedge keeping him safe. A hedge keeping blessing on the inside. The devil said to the Lord, You have put a hedge about Job and you bless everything that he touches. We heard from Psalm 1 today, And whither he go, whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. God can put a hedge about you. If you'll choose to live the way that Psalm 1 described, Job had a hedge. And brethren, when bad things come into your life and you lose things, Job got twice in the end because our God does great things for individuals. He knew that he had put Job under great stress. Even though Job sinned and brought wrath from God upon him by the trial being extended in the end, he blessed him with twice what he ever had. Oh, there's a widowed wife of a prophet in 2 Kings chapter 4 who came to Elisha and said, the creditor is going to take away my two sons. They've all I've got left. Elisha said, what do you have in the house? A little vial of oil. You tell those boys to get out in the community and gather together every vessel they can find. Bring those vessels home and start pouring. She started pouring. She filled one giant vessel, another barrel, a third barrel, barrels of oil. They filled the house with these vessels and she said, Sons, where's the next vessel? And they said, They are all full. So she ran to the prophet Elisha and said, What do I do now? Sell it and retire. And it says they lived in the proceeds the rest of their lives. All three of them. Great things he hath done. If you lose your husband, if you lose your wife, if you lose your children, if you lose your parents, the Lord can stand beside you and take care of you. Put your trust in Him. Praise Him and delight in Him. Those that delight in Him, He will give them the desires of their hearts. And that's what we're doing today is to delight in the Lord for the great things He has done. Naaman the Syrian dumped his leprosy in the Jordan River with seven dips. And a widow of Zarephath, 
who was out gathering two sticks together to make a fire and bake her last cake, was preserved by a little cruise of oil and a little pot of meal by the prophet Elijah. And Jesus, still listen brethren, these stories are important. Because Jesus in Luke chapter 4, when he is preaching the gospel in Nazareth in the synagogue, he brings up both of those events. He brings up Naaman the Syrian, and he brings up the widow woman of Zarephath. It is important for us to remember these things, to delight in them and to believe in them, and to understand that that's how God operates in both Testaments. I wouldn't go home and get yourself a 55-gallon drum and take your quart of 10W40 or 10, 10W40 and start pouring it. You know why? Because you don't need it yet. He'll make your things last when they need to last. Oh, look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1. Oh Lord, light up our souls and our hearts and our minds with Your great things that You have done in general, that You have done for Your church, that You have done with the Word of God, and that You have done in our salvation through Jesus Christ, and that You have done for individuals throughout the pages of Scripture. We thank Thee. Look at Matthew chapter 1. There is a woman in verse 3. Tamar. There are two women in verse 5. Rahab and Ruth. And there is a woman in verse 6. Bathsheba. And that is all the women that make it to the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all four of those women have shady or sinful or wicked or terrible pasts. That is so comforting. That is wonderful from the God of heaven. That is a great thing. Tamar was by incest. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was from the Moabites, the wickedest, most lascivious, women-defiling nation around the Israelites. Bathsheba was a wife of another man when David took her. Those four women are in this list. Great things he hath done to forgive. The widow of Nain in Luke 7 felt his compassion, didn't she? She's, she's a widow. Her last son, her only son is on the funeral pyre in a procession. And Jesus comes and sees it and he has compassion on her. He'd always seen her. Don't get excited. He'd always seen her. He comes and he says, don't fear. Give me a second. And he goes over and raises the young man up and presents him to his mother. God knows about every widow woman. A woman in Bethany, a wicked woman. She dumped an expensive bottle of alabaster ointment on the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles jumped all over her for wasting good money. Is there anybody here that feels like it's wasting when you do something for the Lord? Have a nice life like Saul or Judas. King Saul or Judas Iscariot. If you don't like to be liberal in the things of the Lord. We want to do things exceeding magnificent. She broke that alabaster bottle of ointment and he, he shut them up. He said, you're always going to have the poor. You can worry about the poor next week. You're not going to always have me. She's done this ahead of time for my burial. And then he did this. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world for the next 2,000 years, this story is going to be told about this woman. Do you know that I can ask you about eight of the 12 apostles and you can't tell me one stinking thing about them? Do you know that I can ask you about this woman and everyone knows about that woman? That is a great thing for a woman that was ridiculed by the apostles. A poor widow woman in Luke 21 cast in two mites. 
There were thuds going on in that temple as the rich men brought and cast from all their abundance great gifts. This little widow woman sneaks in and dumps her two mites and Jesus sees her. There's nothing that you'll ever do for the Lord in prayer. On your knees, there's nothing you'll ever do for your Lord in Christian service toward another person that that is unseen, maybe unthanked, even by the person you did it for. Jesus and the Lord take recognition of it. And Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He, He noticed the two mites of the widow woman. When Jesus rose from the dead, the angels told the women that first came to the tomb, Go and tell the apostles and Peter. That is a great thing. Who first saw Jesus? Resurrected. Mary. And the Bible wants us to know that. That is a great thing. John, in writing his epistle, is allowed, is inspired to write that Jesus rested on his bosom about himself. Matthew doesn't tell us that. Mark doesn't tell us that. Luke doesn't tell us that. Who gets to tell us that? You say, that's almost arrogance. It's precious. Because you know what? It was precious to John. And he got to write that Jesus laid on him, leaned against him when they ate. You know, I love the Ethiopian eunuch so much. I can't wait to meet him. He is, he is the spirit of a just man made perfect right now in heaven. But the Lord found him out in the middle of the wilderness. Did he have a few things going against him? Was he a Jew? Was he from the seed of Abraham? Was he black like the Ethiopians of Ezekiel, Jeremiah 13, 23? Was he castrated? Was he from another nation? Was he a Gentile outsider outside the commonwealth of Israel? Did the Lord take pity on him? The Lord raised up Philip and put Philip right out there in the middle of the desert to take care of that Ethiopian eunuch. And you know what? He went on his way rejoicing. And for those of us who, you know, there were days in my life where I was the saddest, loneliest, unhappiest, most miserable person on earth. And we get to go on our way rejoicing. Stephen was being stoned to death. See, not all men get to get in their chariots and ride off into the sunset like the Ethiopian eunuch. Stephen was stoned to death, but do you know what kind of a death he died? He lifted up his eyes to heaven and God peeled heaven back. And Jesus Christ stood up off his chair, off his seat, off his throne, and stood there ready to receive Stephen. Every occurrence of Jesus Christ viewed in heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father. This one he is standing. And Stephen told his audience that. As the, as the stones were coming, I see Jesus right now at the right hand of power. And he was able to die. Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. Those are great things. Stephen Stephen needed a little bit of encouragement. Would you be encouraged with such a thing? All men forsook Paul on trial in Rome, but the Lord stood with him. This was just a small sampling of great things revealed to us in God's Scripture. My brothers and sisters, there's no reason for you to doubt or fear any circumstances that come in your life as a son of God. Look what he has done in general for his church in the Bible through Christ in our salvation and personally for so many in both testaments of Scripture. There is every reason for your heart, your mind, and your mouth to be filled with praise and thanksgiving to Him. Repeating His great things like we've done just now is part of His religion, and I love it. The Bible says, I will remember the works of old. I will muse on the works of old. 
We're supposed to remember and repeat these things. We are supposed to declare the great works of God to another generation. The Lord's been very great, and He's done great things, and His greatness is unsearchable. And when we come back in the second assembly, we want to bless Him for the things He's done for us. You know, He told the Gadarene who wanted to go with Him. Can't blame the Gadarene for wanting to go with the Lord Jesus. You can't come with me, but go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord hath done for thee. And he went home and published abroad throughout Decapolis and the surrounding area what great things the Lord had done for him. It's repeated twice in Matthew 5, 19 and 20. And we shall, or Mark chapter 5, 19 and 20, we'll consider that in the second assembly. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.